bets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. To left field, Floyd. And after winning rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a timeless show for it. 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there, strike three called. The Mets win the pennant. The New York Mets it's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, December the 13th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike. I got the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, hope everybody's doing uh, well out there. I know you're probably asking, where was the content? Where were the podcasts during the winter meetings? Well, there was a lot of talk, mainly revolved around JT Real Muto. There was a lot of talk about where or whom wanted Noah Syndergaard. But there really wasn't a lot of action until the wee hours of the morning last night. And my intention was to get our buddy Michael Mayer on. And a couple of things went wrong on that, uh, mainly some server issues here over at the uh, the good old compound, and also uh, with the server issues, I was like, hey, you know, really, I was thinking maybe something will happen deep into the night, and Michael was leaving uh, on Thursday morning, so I said, let's just table Michael till the weekend, go through some Rule 5, and, and get some perspective, and see if anything is uh, happening between now and then, but joining me today in just a little bit will be our buddy from New York Sports Day, Rich Mancuso. He's still in Vegas. He's wrapping up. He'll be joining me in just a few, uh, in just a bit, and we'll uh, we'll get his take on the action down at the winter meetings, and then later this week, and we'll probably get Michael Mayer, our buddy from MetsmorizedOnline.com. He was also down at the winter meetings, and he had a lot of uh, things going on. I think he's going to give uh, a really great perspective on some things, and who knows what happens between now and, and the weekend when we, we do more uh radio here. But that's why we didn't do the Tuesday podcast. That's why I'm here wrapping up the winter meetings. And I'll start first real quick, uh, really wondering what happened to these meetings. I think, and I'll ask Rich Mancuso about that. But this used to be like Christmas morning for baseball fans. Like every day you'd go to bed if it was in Vegas and wake up and there'd be two, three, four moves and a dozen or so rumors and you just didn't know what was going to be next. And if it wasn't on a three-hour time difference, there was just so much action. And I feel like now there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of coverage and baseball's turned it into an event, a media event, and the fans are kind of waiting 
When's it going to start? When's things going to get going? And it never really transpires. Let's be fair. You don't need to be in Vegas, in conference rooms, in a hotel to make moves. You could be anywhere. You could be in your home office. You could be on Mars. You have Skype and text messaging and cell phones and all those things. And uh, I think and Kevin Kernan from the New York Post made a, a comment on Twitter saying these days you got to go back to your analytics department to get permission basically to make moves because everybody wants to cover themselves. But in all seriousness, uh, it seems like it's more business-related, more industry-related, almost like a trade show where if you're looking for a job or if you're looking to kind of hobnob and network, uh, which are all good things, just not things that are really exciting in terms of media coverage, radio shows, MLB trade rumors, and whatnot. So uh, I think there's definitely a value to it. Maybe the hype now is a little bit bigger than what reality is. Maybe a new wave of general managers is treating it differently, more to lay framework for the winter. And baseball as a game is like a chess match. Free agency in some years has been that, a very slow-moving chess match. And everybody's trying to do something to, uh, you know, essentially go out there and, uh, you know, make their team better, but also be as cautious as possible that they're, you know, making the right move and what have you. So maybe that's what's happened with the winter meetings and why we don't have you're not waking up to the Joe Carter or Robbie Alomar type of trades anymore. And teams are measuring six times and cutting once, I guess is the old saying. But, you know, the Mets did walk away with a piece. And it, their strategy for the winter and the strategy that I had laid out earlier in the winter about getting an arm is starting to crystallize. They got their closer. They got that earlier in the uh, the winter with the trade with uh, Edwin Diaz. And then I said, you know, the Mets should go out and they got to get themselves uh, almost like a second closer or an elite setup man. And I mentioned names like David Robertson and Adam Adovino and Cody Allen, a guy that was in Cleveland that might be coming back, uh, you know, from a down year. And, you know, one of the names that I did bring up was that Juris Familia was out there. And Familia, uh, who had been just a few hours before the signing went down, rumored to be talking to Chicago, the White Sox. I did not think, because there wasn't much connection to Familia through the rumor mill, through the media, that the Mets were really interested in going down that route. And I had some concerns at the beginning of the offseason, and I still do about Familia, who has seen his walk rate increase over the last couple of years, has had some inflammation of the shoulder and the blood clot, and not necessarily the lights-out pitcher you saw, certainly in 2015, or the very good closer you saw in 2016. There's some miles, those were very taxing seasons for Familia, but a guy that can still get you big outs, a guy that struggles a little bit against the tough left-handed hitters, a guy that seems to lose his control and command and and can't find it back within the same inning, a guy that, look, uh, it wouldn't have been my first choice, but it's not a horrible signing. I would have liked to see them go down the uh, Andrew Miller route, who's more of a lefty, Uh, David Robertson, perhaps, Adovino, but I look at the ages of those pitchers, the similar with uh, Miller, uh, with the injuries that he's had. You know, he's had an increased walk rate. Robertson walks a bunch of guys. Adovino's had up and down seasons. There's really no more of a risk with Familia than there would have been with any of those other names, even Andrew Miller. And if you talk about a three-year, $30 million deal, $10 million for a team that is trying to manage a budget, manage a payroll, 
that has to make decisions and is being held up a little bit now, not being, is being held up by the Miami Marlins and the Real Muto situation, which maybe something will come up throughout the show that we're, while we're sitting here, who knows? Uh, They're going to have to try to say, look, we don't want to be the team that as the musical chairs start to get taken later in the offseason, that has to go make that Anthony Swarzak type of reliever signing again. Because for what you paid Swarzak, $8.5 million, I think it was, uh, that he was going to be owed to this year, you're paying Familiar a million and a half more, who's a better pitcher. And a guy who wants to be here, I know has a checkered off-the-field history with the domestic violence situation. I know that bothers some people, and I understand that. But, you know, for me, you got to look at the player on the field. He served his punishment. Uh, if you're going to go out there and just want the Mets to sign people that you like, well, you don't know about everybody's background. You don't know about everybody's beliefs. And if that's how you're going to build a team, you're never going to build a team. So I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to take that into consideration. What I'm going to say is you got a guy that is probably better suited in an eighth inning role, can spot Diaz as a closer when he needs a rest, will hopefully allow for less overuse of the closer, especially if they play a lot of close games. I think, like I said, a guy that can get big outs has proven to get big outs in the postseason. Probably you want to stay away from big lefty hitters. You might have to take him out mid-inning if uh, he's doesn't have his stuff, something that's a little bit harder to do when he's the closer. And I think overall a decent signing, and it gives the Mets a really solid 8th and ninth inning if he's healthy, and that's a big if, but I think that would have been the case with everybody. Uh, I mean, Adovino's had injuries in the past. Uh, Robertson has been relatively healthy. Uh, Miller has had injuries. Everybody, and even familiar, the walk rate has creeped up. And all these relievers, it seems like the walk rates continue to rise a little bit. Now, when you walk three or four batters per nine, but strike out 13-14, and familiar, familiar strikeout rate actually has been solid. It's been the, the lefties that have hit him better in the last couple of years. The walk rate's gone up, especially from his fabulous 2015. So, there, you know, there's some red flags there, but no more than other relievers. And look, I heard a lot of fans groaning about Familia, almost putting him in the Armando Benitez category. This is a guy that got big outs in the postseason. What he did in Game 5 against the Dodgers, uh, fabulous, got them through the Cubs. I understand the Gordon home run. That happens uh, ill-timed, the, 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 the quick pitch. You know, he didn't blow Games 4 and Game 5. Defense in the World Series, Terry Collins in the World Series. You know, they brought that guy in with guys on base in tough situations with a bad defense behind him. A David Wright that couldn't throw. A Wilmer Flores that was nowhere near a shortstop. Daniel Murphy, who had trouble playing second base. I mean, it was a tough situation for a guy who made pitches, uh, induced some weak contact, but didn't get the result desired. He was basically the old B-A-B-I-P. Uh, you know, due to throwing the ball wild. So I don't want to hear about him being bad in the postseason. I know the the home run against the Giants in the wild card game. This stuff could happen. Happens to the best of uh, of them. Remember Brad Lidge? He had some big years of the Phillies. Well, the Astros got rid of him because of a big home run he gave up in the postseason off of uh, Albert Pujols. So this stuff happens, you know, short of being Mariano Rivera. Dennis Eckersley gave up a big home run in the postseason. You may have heard of a guy named Kirk Gibson. Look, I don't, I don't want to hear about that. That's silly. That's nitpicky. Familia was a big-time uh, reliever for the Mets in 15. They don't get to the World Series without him. He has nasty stuff. Uh, hopefully the health stays up. He's younger than some of the aforementioned names. And uh, overall, I can't complain about the move. It comes at risk. It may not have been the uh, the move that I would have made. 
I know that some people say, why do they jump in? They figure they get a good deal at $10 million. They jump in early. They solidify the bullpen. And now the rest of the bullpen, another lefty they could go out and get, or maybe even another veteran righty. Uh, it's the supply and demand, the old economic situation. And the more that the musical chairs go and get filled, the stress then turns also to the player. The player wants to get a job. The player wants to get themselves a decent salary. There's as much stress on them as the clock and the and the calendar turns to January 1 and you, you see spring training in your, in your sights and you still don't have a job. So I think the Mets are still going to be able to improve that bullpen. I think they're going to be able to get a lefty. There's a plethora of them. Even our old buddy Oliver Perez is out there. Tony Sipp, Jerry Blevins, Cedeno. There's a bunch of names uh, that are out there. And, uh, you know, they're all interchangeable in some way, shape, or form. So it's hard to say you need to pick this guy over another guy because they all kind of do the same thing. I think it comes down to who can stay the healthiest, uh, who gives you the best value in terms of dollar, and who wants to play here. And I think you have to play the the market a little bit on that. So uh, probably a little bit more time spent on this familiar signing than necessary, but uh, I just wanted to start off there. Now, the real big thing here, real Muto. Uh, This has gotten to be absurd. The fact that uh, there are rumors here that the Dodgers are, are being held up by the Marlins because of Cody Bellinger not being included in the deal. And I know Joel Sherman wrote a piece earlier this evening about how Real Muto uh, you know, brings a lot of intangibles. He's a catcher. It's a position that's hard to find. You know, He rates pretty well defensively. You know, He has some leadership qualities. I want Real Muto on the Mets. There's no doubt about it. He's a guy that I would like on the Mets. I am having a hard time justifying a deal that's centered around Nimmo Conforto. I have a hard time with that. On top of it, I'm a little bit more open to Rosario. But when you talk about Rosario and then plus multiple prospects, I'm saying to myself, oh, I, where are we going here? Are we overpaying for the player? You certainly got to sign him. And here's a guy that had his best year yet offensively. Uh, you're, if you trade Nimmo or Conforto, you're probably trading away the better offensive player. Rosario, I'm a little bit more open to because I still have questions about Rosario. And I said this on Sunday during the, the, the preview show. Rosario, to me, still has some questions about his instincts at shortstop, whether he's going to hit much above league average. He's a free swinger. Um, I don't think he's a bad kid, but you know, baseball instincts are something that you just don't necessarily learn. Mickey Calloway spoke glowingly about him at the winter meetings about how he puts in the work, and Gary DiCiorcina and Mickey saw a lot of improvement in him. you got to trust what the manager says. He's in that clubhouse. He sees it day in and day out. But I thought there was still a good number of balls that he should have got into, they should have got to that he didn't. He doesn't rate horribly with the defensive metrics, but if he's the center of the deal, I wouldn't let that hold me up getting real muto. You can do a stopgap with uh, an Iglesias or Freddie Galvez. I mean, I think those guys could fill in nicely while you wait for this Jimenez kid who's 19, and, and that'll be probably more of a conversation. We have our buddy Michael Mayer over the weekend about what he thinks about him. He covers the minor leagues extremely well for MetsMorizedOnline.com. And, um, you know, I could survive with that. Now, if you start talking about Vientos and, and some of the other guys that are in the top Mets top five prospecting, I was like, hey, guys, you know, all due respect here, I'm not about to give up two, three top prospects and a major league guy for the one catcher. I mean, what else is coming back here? And then you hear these wild three-way rumors with the Yankees, where the Yankees, Yankees are desperately trying to grab their hands on a Mets pitcher. The media's been dying 
for months. Think about this market where, you know, you got Lance Lynn getting $10 million a year. And the, the media, at some points during the summer, wanted the Mets to gift a Wheeler or a DeGrom, the Cy Young Award winner, Syndergaard to the, to the Yankees, or for, you know, maybe toolsy prospects from some of these teams, or Margot and Hedges from the Padres. Like, what's going on here? Like, the one deal that was interesting, and it at least was more sensible, is if the Mets did give up Syndergaard, a Miguel Andujar Real Muto return for the Mets. I, I have to think about that. Andujar concerns me because of a couple of reasons. One, the Yankees, when they give somebody up, you have to be concerned because they don't give anybody up who they feel will hurt them. His defense, whether you watched him, and I watched him a little bit, not just in the postseason, doesn't really play well. Uh, his the metrics on him on defensively are horrible. He's probably one of the worst defensive third basemen in baseball. So that's a bit of a concern. But he's got a good bat, and he's got power. He's got uh, doubles, a uh, good doubles guy. You know, there's a lot there that um, to be excited about. I just don't see that as being how the Yankees get Syndergaard. The Mets win that deal because then the Yankees, you know, the Marlins are basically turn around and say, I want the Yankees prospects. So I would assume those guys or maybe some combination thereof with the Mets giving up some prospects would be in the deal. Um, and then there's other deals where Rosario and Syndergaard are going. It's like, guys, I mean, at some point, you know, I'm concerned, and this is where, what is the next step? I've told you I was okay with a Maldonado, a defensive catcher. Obviously, then you have to look, and this is where shortstop catcher and center fielder are all intertwined here because if you go with more defense and a lot less offense behind the plate, then you really have to look at Lagaris in center and say, can I survive or take the risk with his bat? Because if he's hurt or he's bad, you have Maldonado, a weak offensive player, Rosario, who we don't know, and then the center fielder uh, and the pitcher, you know, almost half your lineup then at that point is very sketchy. You're giving away three innings a game offensively. That's tough. I'm okay with giving away the eighth spot for defense. I'm okay with that, knowing that the pitcher's up behind him. Um, you know, that might be a little tricky. If you bring Maldonado in, and then you might have to look at center field a little bit differently and maybe slide Lagares into more of a fourth outfielder role. And you have to get much more serious about a Pollock. I'm not interested in Adam Jones. I think Adam Jones is another version, bad defensive version, because I think offensively he's a different. He's got more power than Lagares, but he's a below league average, two league average offensive player. I think if you give Lagares 500 at bats, I think he can probably go slightly below two league average on offense, and his defense will make more than up for that. Adam Jones doesn't give you that kind of defense. He hasn't given you that kind of defense in a long time. I know he's won gold gloves. He hasn't given you that in a long time. So I'm not interested in that. But at the end of the day, the Real Muto situation is what's holding this darn thing up. How much longer, I don't know. It's definitely holding up Grandel. To a certain degree, it's holding up Ramos, although the Angels are looking at Ramos, so maybe he'll jump at that. Maldonado's going to have to wait for all this to shape out because he's going to be playing B or C, depending on which team. Uh, the Mets really, at some point, and I trust that Van Wagenen and, and anybody with all the guys they brought over, Alan Bayer from the Red Sox and the executives they brought over for the Red Sox, they've got Ruben Amaro who was on the coaching staff, Omar Minaya. They got a, they got more than enough front office talent that I, I – it's not a bunch of fools that are in this position. you got an agent running the show here, right, the front person. you got a lot of talent working through this thing over in Vegas, for this organization. I don't think they, they, I think they know what they're doing. 
I think they understand a lot of this is an overpay. And the positive you have to take away from all this Real Muto is that the Mets just signed a player in Familia that nobody connected to them. Nobody. There was no rumors about it. It just happened. And maybe because it happened so quick, there wasn't time for it to leak out. And it happened basically when the East Coast was all sleeping. But I, I really have a hard time believing that the deals, even with the Nimmo part, which it would be very painful. And I understand Joel Sherman said it's easy to find a corner outfielder than it is a catcher. With that, be that as it may, people throwing Nimmo around like he's a fourth or fifth outfielder. This is a guy who's a top 25. I will repeat, a top 25 windshare player in 2018 in all of baseball. And you're treating him like a fourth outfielder. Now, Real Muto's right up there with him as far as value. And he's probably more valuable. Forget about what the wins above replacements say when you put him in a catcher. But I'm not ready to give up an on-base guy at the top of a lineup that very well may have, you know, depending on what they give up, Rosario, who's sketchy defensively, and then uh, Maldonado behind the plate, who I love the defense, but, you know, there is some concerns when you have too many dead outs in the lineup when it comes down to it. So, Lots still to get to. Uh, I, I, am not, I still think the Mets have to hold firm. If they're about giving up their prospects, they're about giving up or cleaning out whatever's left of their top farm system for Real Muto, I'm willing to put the chips in the center of the table and do that. Maybe with Rosario being part of some variation, not both, you'd have to take back some prospects if Rosario's part of it. You can't give up both Jimenez and Rosario. They have to pick. They have to pick who they want. Uh and, and then at that point, you know, you have to say, listen, I'm done here. Enough is enough. Now, maybe Van Wagenen feels like the Marlins will sit back. And, and you have to think the fact that they haven't jumped on Grandel, and we don't know, maybe they are, that they still feel that they're, because of their dialogue, that the Marlins want what the Mets have. And there's some variation that they could get things done. But, um, you know, you have to bring this to a close. The good news is I think all the other catchers, and I'd be ticked if I was Grandel or Ramos if he, you know, to a certain degree, where I'm sitting around waiting for the Marlins to uh, to try to bamboozle another team. You know, come on. It's just the, the, the rumors and the requests. It's almost like they're mad about how things went down with Yelich and Stanton. So they're going to punish the next team. Well, you know what? You're going to punish yourself because you may be left holding the bag. That's what it may be. And that would be poetic justice, especially for a team. Uh, like Miami, that uh, has been fairly obnoxious, and, and I understand they got to get value. I understand they got to they got to they got to get something out of this. Been fairly obnoxious during this process. All righty, let's take a quick break. When I return, Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day, we'll get a chance to talk to him. Let's hear what he thinks about some of the topics. Familia, Real Muto, the winter meetings. He was there in Vegas. What does Rich think? We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Trying to improve our bullpen was a real priority this offseason. Once we got Diaz in the fold, we thought that uh, you know, if we could keep pushing forward and, uh, and be aggressive on some of the top guys in the market, you know, the bullpen would be a, be a huge win. Obviously, we still have some work to do to try to push across the finish line, but the familiarity with, uh, with a player that's been in New York was attractive, and uh, you know, we know the makeup, and you know, if we can get it done, we'd be, uh, we'd be excited. And it, it gives us the opportunity to continue to narrow our, our focus, as you said. And I felt like the Diaz and Cano trade really put us in a position to be more focused here. Now, if we can get uh, get this to the finish line, then, uh, then I think we know where our next targets are. And, and like I said earlier, we have, we have some definition of what those targets will take, and hopefully we can uh, continue to, you know, to execute. Vegas. 
All right, we're back, and uh, you know when the party's done and everybody's gone home, there's still a few stragglers, those guys looking to get the last remnants of fun. And joining us from Vegas, he might be the last man standing out there. But as we recap the winter meetings, Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day is joining us. Rich, how you doing, Mike Silva over here in New York? How's it going, my friend out there? No, I didn't have no fun. I'm just in a holding pattern to get on a plane and get out of here. I lost my credit card, and oh. uh, and, and uh, the Mets didn't do any better either picking up except one guy. So, you know, what can I tell you? But I'm used to this town. I, I come here a lot for boxing, and I'll be back here again in four weeks for another for another fight, Manny Pacquiao. So I'm used to it. But, uh, well, yeah, it was an interesting a- few days, though. It is. There was a lot of, yes. look, last year was the slow winter meetings. This year there was some buzz, mainly a lot of dialogue about what the Mets would have to give up for Real Muto. And to some degree, I think the fans are fatigued from it. And then Noah Syndergaard's name is being bandied about. And uh, I guess the first thing I'll ask you, Rich, is the winter meetings, the days of waking up and hearing that the Mets acquired Brett Saberhagen or Joe Carter or Robbie Alomar or, you know, for Fred McGriff, and Tony Fernandez, those kind of deals. Uh, I think those days are over. It seems like everybody just laid mm. the groundwork. And uh, because of technology and front offices that are yeah. very methodical, uh, you know, this is almost like an industry thing, not necessarily a, a, That's a all trader it is. thing. This is, let me tell you now, I, you know, I took a break from the winter meetings up until three years ago. This is my third straight year covering the meetings. And I'm telling you, it's getting worse and worse when it comes to the news, the social media, the buzz and all that, the rumors, it's all done for the fans. This is mostly an MLB extravaganza to, to, to display themselves, to show what they got. The seminars, job fairs, and, you you know, people running around trying to get the scoop up with someone else. And what, what happens? Nothing. No major moves. And, I mean, you look at uh, uh, the Texas Rangers signing a 36-year-old Lance Lynn for the money he got as a big move was one of the major moves of these meetings. And, and of course, on our end with the Mets, uh, it was all buzz. And, and, and all I've done is for the TV, for the ratings, and the social media, and this and that. And I've been writing it about that way. It's, uh, you come here, it's always been to try and improve your team. And granted, you've led the framework before that. And if you don't come out of here getting what you want, at least you're laying the framework for some more later on. But we're no clearer to what the Mets really are going to do beyond now, except for what you hear uh, that they're getting the, the catcher that they need, and it's not real Muto, uh, to getting an outfielder, a right field hit batter, right field hitter out right in the outfield for a right handed hitter, which we don't know who. And, uh, of course, the bullpen a little better, but one guy that was added, which took us all by surprise, Jerry's familiar. I expected, did not expect that. I don't think anybody did. And uh, that was their major move. That was their major move. Uh, the Rule 5 draft, a big deal. But the, the major move was getting familiar back to the bullpen, which makes the Mets pen much better. He'll set up. Edwin Diaz will close. Uh, but they still have more to do and a lot more to do before fans could say, wow, now we have a team here on the field that, uh, and let's face it, Mike, this is a Brody Van Wagenen show. What, uh, how do you pronounce his name? I don't even know how to pronounce it. Van Wagenen, yeah, Brody Van Wagenen. Van Wagenen. It's his show. He's very, you know. 
Yeah, but the, you yeah, know, Mike. here's the thing. Look, Familia might not have been my first choice. I got some concerns. Uh, you know, Miles on there. You know, his lefties hit him better. The walk rate's gone up. But yeah, you know, I look at I look at this. Adovino, Cody Allen, uh, even David Robertson. He might be one of the more stable mm. ones of the group. Every reliever that's out there, uh, Andrew Miller, who I would have loved, but if he's you know he's got an injury history recently. Every reliever comes at risk. And I, here's what I'll say. They jumped in early, and Adam Fisher used to work for the Mets, who's now on SMY, said, you know, Aces, the right. uh, the agency that, that represents Familia, they like getting their players right. in because they don't want the musical chairs. And, look, the Mets could still get a decent lefty reliever, a decent righty reliever, just by the old supply and demand. Let the calendar turn to January 1. Players get empty. Yeah. Spring training, six weeks away. It's, musical chairs yeah. will burn the Mets. But musical That's chairs right. burn the, the player. So I don't mind this move. Could Familia be a bust? Maybe. Um, but no more of a risk, in my uh, opinion. Well, he's not a Miller. closer no more. And, you know, you know right. he's a setup man. But he can and, and, that, that, and, and he got big out and, here. And, that's, and a lot of people so, forget that because they remember the World Series. Yeah. That wasn't all his fault. So I think that's unfair no, how they right. treat the series. Well, some of the fans. right, right. I think he, I think he got a bad rap when he was here the first time, but he loves it. He, he want, he didn't want to leave. Uh, and, and he's, uh, I, I know that not talking to him that he's got, and then just looking at social media, and I can know that he's ecstatic that he's back. He kept his home in the area, uh, and uh, in in Jersey over the bridge, and um, he, he did. He, he's comfortable here. He was a leader, believe it or not, in the clubhouse when he was here before. The first time, a medal all the time. He was a leader, good guy to have in the clubhouse, a lot of fun, uh, very good for us in the media. And basically, as you just said, Mike, he always did the job. He got a bad rap, and I think now he's in a new role, and he got to he's got adapted to that. Now we saw in his later tenure with the Mets the first time up until he went to Oakland. You know that's what he was being used as as a as an eighth-inning man or something else, and that became a new position for him out of the bullpen. So now the Mets have that set for him. He's going to know he's got to do that job because as long as they have enough front support and you know, enough to protect the lead, then you go to Edwin Diaz, and then you got Lugo and Gesellman, which is pretty good. It's what they're going to do in between all of that. Uh, I didn't hear anything about David Robinson's name no more, Zach Britton, uh, Adam Octavia. I didn't hear nothing about anyone else. The one name, though, that he did hear during these meetings, and even Mickey Callaway alluded to it on Tuesday, was uh, Andrew Miller. Uh, they exchanged pleasantries over Thanksgiving and all that stuff. And I didn't think that the Mets have a good in on him. It's just a matter of how many years, how much they'll sign him for. And let's face it, they do have the uh, ability to spend money. They do have it. Even though they gave $30 million to Familia, there's a lot more that they can do. Uh, David Wright was around advocating things. He had a good presence being around uh, and, and was a good influence around the new hierarchy that's running the team right now. Um, and there was this excitement and buzz that the Mets created for the first time in a long time, in a long time at the winter meetings and during this offseason. They've been the talk of baseball, and they were at these meetings. And partly that was due to Real Muto, but a lot of other things because they're creating a buzz. They're, what's the next move they're going to make? That's what it is. And, and I think it's all good for Mets fans. It's just a matter of when and who, you know? Oh, absolutely. Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day. 
uh, joining me here. I'll throw something at you that just came down, uh, Rich. I mean, maybe you heard this already, but I just saw it come across the, the line. Uh, John Heyman at FanCred uh, says that the Mets have looked at uh, Nelson Cruz. Now, I don't get that. Guy's been a DA since 37. Defensively, yeah. now, what all that could mean, I, I, what that could mean is yeah. um, they're going to trade a corner, plop a guy out there. Look, here's the part yeah. I, I would say. This is not against John, and John's always been good to me. Um, yeah. Just because they, they checked in on someone, and that's the thing about the reporting now. Anybody right, can right. say, hey, you know, Brody Van Wagen and talked to Nelson Cruz's agent. You know, that's possible. They just said, what's going on? What is he looking for? You never yeah. know. A guy mm-hmm. like Van Wagenen has basically said he wants to be creative. You never know what comes from a conversation. He's a salesman. Right, Sales right. people like to check right. in on things. Because what if he comes around and says, right. hey, you know, my client really wants to play for you. And, and then you got to say, well, right. now, I don't think it makes sense. I actually, you know, it's amazing. Very quietly, and maybe part of that is because he's been out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Cruz is 360 career home runs. That's that's amazing. He's yeah. got 400 home you know, he may, if he plays two or three more years at 40 home runs, he's going to have yeah, you know, not five You know why? That's the latter end of his career, and you already got Robinson Cano, who's, what, 36 years old, right? You don't want to get younger. Yeah. Again, what have I always been saying? You want to get younger, more athletic, and step older. I can't see the Mets even doing that, but, you know, the way this is going, you never know. I mean, uh, Adam Jones, I could, you know, look, I'll take Adam Jones. If, 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 if he, they talk to Adam Jones' reps, they talk, they met. I don't know where it's going from there, but that, that would be a good Do you think he's much of an upgrade yeah. over Ligaris, though? Do you really think Adam Jones is an upgrade? Uh, I, he, well, he's, I, here's, here's the difference, and we all know what I'm, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to allude to. Ligaris has never really proved himself because he's always on the damn DL, always on the disabled list. So you really, you know, maybe it's time for Juan Ligaris to go and bring someone else in, even though Adam Jones is a little older. But uh, I always liked Adam Jones in the American League with the Orioles. I always liked his defensive ability and always liked his command at the plate, what he can do. He's got a good, good, good sense of the strike zone. And, man, you know, he gets on base most of the time. And I think that would be a nice uh, addition to the team. But Lagaris could be a guy that, that's no longer here next season. I mean, that, that his name came up. Yeah. yeah. And, he's, and, he's, and he, he might be – in order to bring in some payroll, they may need to move his salary. Rich Mancuso, New York Sports. All right. All right, let's get to the silliness that's really been this. Look, I have nothing yeah. against Real Muto. I, I would love to have Real Muto on the Mets. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, it's gotten to be theater of the absurd with the – it could be part of the rumor mill. We didn't know about Ven- yeah. Familia until it happened. So maybe sometimes the best right. signings are the ones that we don't hear. All by surprise, yeah. Right, yep. so it tells you maybe yeah. there's more, but – when I hear people yeah. tweeting out that, that what's holding up Real Muto going to the Dodgers is Cody Bellinger, I'm like, mm. you know, what, what what's holding him up going to the Yankees, Aaron Judge? Uh, really? I mean, the idea that you have to give up prospects plus a Nimmo or a Conforto or both Conforto yeah. and Rosario is absurd. And I or want Noah Syndergaard. Or, or Noah Syndergaard. Right. But, Rich, yeah. here's what I ask you. Out of all the names, Nimmo, Conforto, Syndergaard, Rosario's the one which I'm open to trading. Not both Because you Rosario got him in that, yeah. It, it, not yeah. both. And if they want Rosario and a prospect like a K or a Peterson, I'd be okay with that because you've got to give him a pick yeah. too. 
But yeah. and I'm okay with that because then you could go out, you could sign a Galvez, a Freddie Galvez, you could sign an Iglesias. Right. And I'm not sure about Rosario. His instincts, who he, you know, I know they're high on him, or they're supposedly yeah. they're high on him. That's the only player I'm comfortable on the big league roster right. going back to Miami for Real Muto. Right. As much as I want Real Muto, you know what? You want Nemo, you want Conforto, you want all our top prospects. Uh, maybe I do a prospect-heavy package. I know that'll clean out the system. Maybe I do that. But, you know, yeah. other than that, go 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 after Grandel. And I know that this will make it a, a much more important to go out and get a center fielder. But maybe Martin Maldonado, Martin Maldonado. Maybe that's well, the way you go. In the end, your mic, you just hit what I was going to say, because in the end, uh, I do truly believe, and I've been writing about that, that Martin Maldonado will be signed by the Mets. The Mets will get him eventually. I don't know what the deal is, how many years or whatever. Um, defensive liability may be a little bit, but he's an upgrade. I think he's, I, I always liked his, his at-bat. But I think that's what they're going to do, and this Real Muto stuff will stop talking about it. Look, it, it, it was all brought up as a part of what we just spoke about moments ago. The buzz, the rumors, which I can't stand. And that's what the winter meetings is all what it's become, just buzz and rumors. In fact, the total hostile season. And it creates energy. It creates interest. That's all it does. What's going on behind the scenes? Who hears this? Who hears that? I mean, that's all we hear. We don't know for sure what they're doing. And most of the GMs weren't even staying at the Mandalay Bay. They were in different different uh, casinos in town. They were texting each other. You only saw <laughs> tons of general managers walking around the lobbies. Uh, it, this right. was a difficult place to maneuver to get information because it's so huge. It's huge. I mean, it's usually it's a, it's yeah. I mean, you go to the yeah. Delano. You have the Delano attached to Mandalay Bay. I mean, let me tell you something. Exactly. You know, I've gone, I go there for conferences every year. You know, you want to lose weight, yeah. just walk around the damn place all day. You'll oh, I know. I know. I ate. I, and you're going to spend a ton of money on food, but that's what MLB wants. Oh, they, they got, want, what did you, you people, go eat, Rich? Give us a capital. Oh, I don't know. I did. I, I was. Uh, I know I was all over in the different restaurants here, and I wasn't paying for it because I had, you know, my boxing people were in town. So this is boxing <laughs> city for me. Yeah, so they took care of me. Meal. Oh, look they at that. took Rich care Bacon. of me. So I, but you know, Mike, it's <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it, it. This was not the right place. To, this wasn't the place to have the meetings. It wasn't. They they no. they. It it was just too huge. Where you know, so you couldn't track anyone down. And if you did, you were lucky. And then you found out this. You found, but just the fact, again, the rumors, the buzz, all that, that's what this has become. This is not the place, any winter meetings again, where you're going to get the big blockbuster trade. You might get one, but it's more like a, a stepping stone to get maybe what teams want. And it's becoming, and I was with some scouts, a lot of scouts are here. Uh, and uh, executives, and one high-ranking executive in National League told me, and he's been around the game a long time, it's going to get tougher and tougher to make a trade because you've got free agency still looming there in the background, and players are not commanding and not going to get the money they used to get. That's why it's taken so long to sign free agents, just like last year. What do you say? Is owner's collusion or not? No, it's just the way the game has changed, even on that end of it, the business side. But what they tell me, baseball executives, it's harder to make a trade because some teams are looking for this, some teams are looking for that, and that's why with Real Muto and giving up Conforto or Nemo or Rosario or whatever, 
I mean, in synagogue. You bring up synagogue. How can you even come out with that? That it's preposterous. That, that, I mean, that's starting crazy. pitching. Uh, look, look at guys like Lance Lynn getting three-year deals. I mean, he's going to make slightly yeah. more than Syndergaard. Um, and, you, you know, you've got to be real careful about trading these pitchers. Uh, you just can't do it. I'm you sorry. Know, you just can't uh, look, do it. If Lance Lynn is, and I keep saying this, Mike, if Lance Lynn is getting $36 million at his age, why can't Gio Gonzalez? Look, I, I, I'm not going to lie about it. I'm very friendly with the guy. But let's, let's face it. Let's face the facts. He's a quality starting pitcher. I mean, a couple of years ago, he was close to winning the Cy Young Award. But he came very close. He had an off year this past year because he didn't have the right, he didn't have the run support, had the wrong catcher behind him, so the confidence level went down. But if Lance Flynn's getting $36 million and Gio Gonzalez cannot get one year, and that's all Scott Boris is trying to give him, one year, that the teams claim he's only worth one year of $15 million contract or $10 million. Something is wrong. He could be a guy. He could be a guy like Vargas that has to sign later in the year, and you might get on a good deal. Yeah, he might end up signing late. He could help a team like the Baltimore Orioles, and I'll tell you, he could help a team if he really did. The Yankees wanted to take a chance. Gio Gonzalez would be there, but Gio wants to pitch for the Mets, and the Mets are still exploring that name. They know that. I, I don't know where he'd fit in. He would have fit in if they traded like. Vargas, or if they traded a synagogue, right. then Gio Gonzalez could fit in there perfectly for the Mets. And he's got that winning percentage at City Field that's unbelievable. But that's not a here or there. The point is that you come out of these winter meetings, you come in with a lot of buzz, and you come out of here with no buzz because nothing happens. So it becomes more of a, uh, a business type of thing for MLB to showcase what they got, diversity, more young people in the inner cities to play baseball, which they are concerned about not happening. A little of this, a little of that. Instead of seeing the trades or one of the high-profile free agents get signed. I mean, last year we got caught off guard. And we knew we heard, you know, Giancarlo Stanton and the Yankees made the big noise and the big buzz. That didn't happen this year anywhere. And you usually see some players roaming around at the winter meetings. You didn't see any of them here. None. No, so it's, no, Wilson uh, Ramos was running around. Did you get a chance? Did I did get a chance to run into any luminaries, him. any good luminaries, old well, players, any any luminaries out there that you uh, ran into? Yeah, there was uh, like Jim Leyland's always around, and I love talking to Jim Leyland, and I was with him last night, and what, and that's what we're talking about how the game has changed. So yeah, I could say that there's, there's tons of them that that are around, a lot of names, but you know, but I spent time with Jim Leyland last night. That stands out because he. He's a good talker, and he can tell you his uh, his emphasis of, of, of where this game is at. And I could tell you, he's one of those that said the same thing I do. Baseball is not the same, and everyone knows that. And the complexion and the way things are done business-wise, everything has changed. And I'm not, I'm not going to knock the game because I love it so much, just like I love boxing so much. But perhaps it's because of the times we live in and everything, but it's changed. It's changed dramatically, but uh, uh, this was no place to have the meetings though. It doesn't belong in Las Vegas unless MLB is looking to bring in a, prof- a, a franchise here because they're sur- surrounded by gambling too. Haven't they, haven't they've always been against that? Uh, he, he, you want to know? Oh, Pete Rose. Now that I bring back to your question, because I've got so much on my mind, Mike. I'm going off like crazy, so stop me whenever you want. <laughs> Pete Rose 
a guy that they will not let back into baseball nor the Hall of Fame is here, was here for a couple well, of there, days. Well, he signs autographs like every day there. Signs like, autographs. You want to Rose. Game, I met him and Steve Garvey right. a couple of years ago. So they're coming there, yeah. to a gambling city. They're coming to right. a gambling city, okay? And a guy that they, that they don't want in baseball who was banned because of gambling on his old team or whatever – and then they're coming to a resort, hotel resort casino uh, and where, where gambling is 24-7. And, they're letting, and they got Pete Rose there, and they won't let him in the Hall of Fame or be involved in the game no more. Does that make any sense? No, the baseball game. To me, that makes no tried, sense at all. Well, let me, let me get you riled up one last thing. Yeah. Here's the one last yeah. thing to rally you up. So, and I didn't, I didn't talk about it in the open, but I wanted to wrap up with it. So, the Veterans Committee votes in Harold Baines and Lee Smith into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I really don't have a problem with either one of them. The outrage over Baines is interesting because if Baines gets another 100 and, what is it, 40 hits or so in his career, he's got 3,000 hits, he's probably yeah. already in. Um, he wasn't a bad hitter. Maybe he's on that little, you know, that hall of very good. Yeah. I do mm-hmm. not believe, though, that Baines opens the door for Hernandez and Mattingly because he was a DH. I think that yeah. it opens the door for DHs like David Ortiz. There's no reason right. that Edgar Martinez now shouldn't make it. Granted, right. you have the small sample size of the Veterans Committee versus the 75 percentile of the Hall of Fame. Well, now you can say DHs. Lee yeah. Smith, I think, gets rewarded because, you know what, you got Eckersley in there. Uh, you got yeah. relievers in there now. So relievers have, you know, Trevor Hoffman. Relievers have, have uh, opened the floodgates. I don't think it has anything to do with Hernandez and Matic now. If Will Clark got elected, and he was on that ballot. Yeah. So that's different. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with Kev, our buddy Kevin Kern in the New York Post, George Steinbrenner, even though this is more Met-centric this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, George Steinbrenner, he's a transcendent figure. The players yeah. should all thank him for being where they are today. He should have made right. it. That's right. I know that's a long question, my... but let's wrap up on this. What, what we I wrote my on column about that. Yeah. I, I, Mike, I, I real briefly about that. I put a column this week on New York Sports Day, alluding to that too. The, the Hall of Fame has to there has to be a totally different way to vote guys in this committee, that committee, and that fact that George Steinbrenner should have been in there and only got four votes, four votes, and people that have talked great about him, and and I'm not a, I was never a great George Steinbrenner fan. However, you have to give him his credits, give him all the kudos for what he did for opening up the door for this, for that, okay? And four votes, that's all he got. And one of them that did not vote for him was Joe Torrey, which shocked me. That shocked me. I didn't know Joe. Okay? I didn't, so I, you know what? I, something, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Something, something's wrong somewhere, okay? There's an answer. How could Joe Torrey not vote for George Nymrenner? That's unbelievable. But. That's right. what you, you know, yeah. that's what's going on. But, um, you know, so I, I can only tell this uh, for Met fans is um, what you're seeing now is not the end. I'm pretty sure there'll be moves after the holidays and uh, a different team when you get, as Brody said, going into spring training. But you don't want to create a hole. All right by giving up, you know, because if you have to fill a need and have another hole, it just makes no sense. So uh, 
hopefully uh, a lot. You know, I really do think Alonzo's going to be on this team. I think he's going to have the shot at first base as, as uh, uh, Mickey Cowway alluded to the other day. And, and um, there's going to be this buzz. There's this excitement. There's energy as we saw we're coming into these winter meetings for the Mets. So optimism is the word. Let's, uh, let's just see what transpires between now and after the holidays, Mike. Go put uh, some money down on black or red. Win some money before you I have go. No, I have no again. time. I, ha- I have no time. <laughs> i got to get on a plane and get back to New York and freeze. <laughs> All right, let's let you go. Go, go to the airport. Be well. Thank you again, my friend. Let's do this as the winter goes on, okay? All the time, Mike. Happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas. And if I don't speak to you and all the great Mets fans that follow you, uh, and thank you for your continued support. And and remember, be optimistic, okay? You got it. All right, Rich. Rich Mancuso, thank you so much. New York Sports Day. You got to love it. I mean, uh, you know, he gives you – you always – what I love about Rich is that he's a reporter. And follow him on Twitter, at Ring786, if you're on Twitter. But he gives you the passion of a fan and a regular guy, and you got to love that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we wrap up, I'll, I'll give a couple more comments about the Baines-Lee um, Smith thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of outrage for no reason. I understand that the Hall of Fame always elicits that, but I want to wrap up with that. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with, with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets podcast. Uh, final thoughts here. Just wanted to get a little bit into, before we wrap up, uh, the Harold Baines. I know we touched on a little bit with... Uh, Rich Mancuso, uh, I don't get the outrage. Uh, let me clear some things up real quick for you guys. Number one, Harold Baines has zero to do with Hernandez and Mattingly. Zero. That's what people say, zero. Harold Baines has to be looked at as a designated hitter. And was he com- a compiler? Sure. He compiled some darn good numbers. You don't play 20 years in the big leagues till the age of 42 and had some good years in, in late in his career when he was 39-40 with the Orioles put up some very solid offensive numbers. Uh, he has uh, 2866, 20, 20, over 2,800 hits, you know, another 140 hits or so. He's, uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, no questions asked. Here are the top DHs. The players who are 50% or more of their games in their career played at the DH position. You have to recognize the position now. It's been around since 1973. Frank Thomas, Hall of Famer. Edgar Martinez should be a Hall of Famer. And hopefully he will be a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, 
hold on. David Ortiz should be a Hall of Famer. Harold Baines. All those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. All those guys. I mean, Frank Thomas inducted as a player in uh, 2014. The other three should be inducted. Harold Baines will be. Edgar Martinez probably will be. David Ortiz should be in 2021. Now, if you start getting to Don Baylor, Hal McRae, I mean, now you're starting to get down. But those are the top all-time designated hitters. Frank Thomas, Edgar Martinez, David Ortiz, Harold Baines. There's your argument. Argument over. Lee Smith, yes, peripherals, you could talk about it. Third all-time in saves. Now, you start talking about Eckersley, who was dominant for a period. Uh, You know, that's a different situation. He was also a starter, so he's a Hall of Famer. He's on that list. Now you're throwing in, like, you know, some said John Franco, Billy Wagner for Francisco Rodriguez. Look, I watched all three of those guys in Mets uniforms. And Francisco Rodriguez is still playing, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Not Hall of Famers. John Franco's not a Hall of Famer. Billy Wagner may have the best case, but Billy Wagner's postseason struggles, for me, would take him out. Not a Hall of Famer. Lee Smith, would I have been the first guy I voted in? I don't know if I would have jumped in to vote him. I think Rivera stands above the rest with Eckersley. I think everybody else at this position is a notch below. The saves is a cheap statistic in a lot of ways. But you're also looking at a veterans committee that wants to have their guys from their era get some recognition. So I don't see the outrage. Yes, like I said, George Steinbrenner, transcendent figures like Marvin Miller, George Steinbrenner, guys like that, should be in the Hall of Fame. Every player should thank George Steinbrenner. Every player should thank Marvin Miller. They're wealthy beyond their wildest imagination because of those two individuals. They should never forget that, and they both should be in the Hall of Fame, politics aside. Anyway, that's a wrap. Uh, We'll uh, be back this weekend. I hope to have our buddy Michael Mayer. We'll get his take from the the Vegas winter meetings. I know he caught up with some other individuals. We'll also get into the Rule 5 draft with him. And uh, maybe the Mets minor league system. We'll see if anything transpires with JT Real Muto. I'm tired of it. Put the Marlins in their place. Put the gun to their head. The proverbial gun to the head. Let's get a deal done or else. Move on. Go do something else. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Have a great week, the rest of the week, anybody. See you guys in a few days with more Talking Mets podcasts. Till then, be well. Thanks a lot. <laughs>